0: You're listening to All Ears with Somewhere Soul. Welcome to episode 14 of the All Ears podcast. This is Josh Mason and today I'm joined by singer-songwriter, producer and guitarist Oscar Jerome. After making his mark back in 2016 with his hit single, Give Back What You Stole From Me, Oscar's profile and following has grown rapidly with a string of highly acclaimed releases that blur the lines between jazz, soul, blues and funk. Throughout the episode, we talk about his awareness of the roots of music, how London has shaped his sound, playing with Kokoroko, and lots more. Oscar Drum, thanks for coming on to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me. It's good to be here.
0: Yeah, how you doing? How's your week been?
1: Uh, yeah, it's been a good week. Yeah. Uh, just had um, a screening of a video last night with my brother. Uh, he's a drag artist. He was performing at it, uh, which was cool. That was something a bit different to what I usually do. Um, yeah, I
0: just watched the video to it, um, like, a couple of hours ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, really cool. I like oh,
1: it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of work that's gone into that. It's been a long time coming. And yeah, and apart from that, what I've been doing, just just uh, trying to get a bit of sleep, pretty. Really. I've just been on tour for the last couple of weeks. I was going to say, because
0: this is what I was going to open We're talking about. I swear, you gig, just like constantly, It's
1: yeah, it's a bit it's a bit hectic at the moment. Yeah, yeah, because I'm balancing my thing in Cockerocker as well. Um, but it's fun, man. It's great to play a lot and like gotta try and stay on top of the game with playing when you're playing an instrument so much. Mm. So, yeah, it's yeah, fun. it's
0: nice because there's lots of artists who I like who, when they release a show, I'm like, I'm gonna have to get a ticket because I don't know when they'll play another show. It's so nice with you playing regular shows to have it being like. Feel that I can catch you in London. I always feel like I can catch you again in London soon ish.
1: Right, like, maybe I'm not, I need to, I need to, uh, <laughs> <pull that out laughs> sell any tickets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: because I saw you at, um, one of my favorite shows of yours was the Servant Jazz Quarters. Oh, yeah. One, because it's so intimate there. Yeah, yeah. And it feels like, it a film was almost, almost like a sort of exclusive, like, live session.
1: Yeah, that was crazy, actually. It's like, it kind of, that was, what was that, two years Two years quite long ago? Time ago, yeah. But the growth from then to now is actually what I was talking to my manager about that. It's actually made me feel quite quite good about where we're going Yeah,
0: now, quick. From there to um, like Village Underground.
1: Yeah, quick. yeah. It's been, a, it's, it's happening. You always kind of think, oh no, us, things aren't kind of, I don't know. I don't know. You always, I think you're always self-criticizing. like criticizing. I think it's important to be able to step back and be like, actually, oh yeah, I've come from there to here. Mm.
0: And I think venues is, like, a really healthy way to look at, like, progression as well. Like, people coming to watch your music mm-hmm. rather yeah. than sort of, like, clocking, like, looking at, like, streams and
1: all that yeah, sort of stuff. Yeah, that's like, the most tangible way. There's people there who actually want to buy a ticket to see you play. Yeah. With the whole social media thing, streaming services, you kind of you get so caught up in these little numbers, which don't actually really mean that much, Um so yeah, that's what kind. Of, that's, that's partly why I play. I play so much as well. That's I love that. I love that connection with people and seeing what that people like. I really appreciate something and be able to talk to people as well and mm. actually connect with people. So. And
0: is it a case of, in terms of stuff like because you've done stuff abroad quite recently, right? Mm,
1: yeah, I was in. I was in the US in December. Then I've been doing quite a lot of different, like kind of stuff around Europe. Uh, um, a lot of stuff with Kokoroca in the last few weeks mm. around Europe.
0: How are the shows with them compared to sort of
1: your own? Uh, it's a lot more, uh, for me, it's kind of a, it's a bit more nerve-wracking doing my own shows because it's yeah. so much about me. And I, I, there's so much more resting on me. With that band, it's a bit more, it feels a bit more relaxed because there's eight people and everyone's kind of uh, equally Putting into the music and it's just uh, it's really nice actually because it's 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 a very different environment to be able to, to perform in. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I enjoy doing both, but both, yeah. both very different.
0: Nice. Yeah. So just sort of venture back to um, the early days of music for you. Um, just want to talk about some of your sort of earliest experiences or memories of music. Um, um,
1: my earliest memories of music. Um,
0: I guess what what sort of things were you, do you first? Remember listening to and sort of your ears pricking up and.
1: When I was, I used to go to preschool music with my parents. I was, I was born in Norwich, um, and I, yeah, I used to go to these classes. I remember that kind of like playing like kind of little percussion instruments and I don't know recorders and whatever, and learning these little songs, and then uh, I. I don't know, like any kid, I was obsessed with, like, kind of Disney movies and stuff. Like, I loved The Lion King. <laughs> I used to just sing Just Can't Wait To Be King constantly when I was a kid. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I had quite a supportive family in terms of, like, doing music and stuff. Like, they, they really kind of pushed me to, um, to kind of get, me, like, music lessons. And, like, my dad's quite a, uh, he's really into music. He plays guitar. He's just more like his kind of amateur just for just for fun um but yeah, all my siblings i'm I'm one of four um and they all kind of none of them have taken on music but they all learn instruments as kids and stuff and like yeah, so it's always been like that um and when I was a teenager, I kind of got a lot more into sort of rock music I've had like I was obsessed with Rage Against the Machine. Mm. And I I had everyone had a little of... Rage Against the Machine. Stage. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I had a lot of kind of bands around that time. I've always been kind of leading bands and gigging ever since I was probably about 14. Um, I'll probably say... Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 soundtrack, that had that had a lot of influence on my musical taste yeah, as yeah. well.
0: That's cool to hear someone, <laughs> that's such a cool
1: influence to have like a video game soundtrack. Because <laughs> I, I think that's actually influenced so many people's yeah. music taste because that was like the first place I heard a lot of kind of hip-hop stuff like KRS-One, Public Enemy, like Beastie Boys, or I, I don't know if they're on that one, but yeah, like, yeah. um.
0: Yeah, because there's a lot of work that must go into video game soundtracks as well when you think of it, especially now with like FIFA and stuff. Like they really do like go out of their way to, um they put like quite small artists on like the yeah. latest like FIFA games and mm, stuff. Yeah. you think about people playing FIFA for the first time, that is going to have like a... Yeah, it could be like, really helpful. You yeah. can
1: make you can make a lot of money out of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so if anyone's listening and wants to get me on that, <laughs> right. yeah, hit me up. <laughs>
0: So yeah, Tony Hawk's Rage Against the Machine. What sort of other things were you listening to?
1: Um, I always loved a lot of kind of more like bluesy artists, bluesy and rocky artists and more like, especially through my dad, like people like Jimi Hendrix and uh, John Lee Hooker. Um, I got into jazz when I was about 15, maybe. Um, There was this teacher that came to my school who used to, um, uh, he used to actually play piano in... um, casinos in uh, Las Vegas um, <laughs> cool and like he just came to my school and my music teacher knew that I was kind of into playing like little bluesy things on the piano and stuff and uh, she was like oh yeah you should get some lessons with this guy um, his name's Josh Daniels I know he's been quite influential for quite a few people that came out of like Norwich and then got involved in London jazz and stuff but he uh, so I started having piano lessons with him and then he realised I was pretty terrible at piano. Like I was, I didn't even know what the names of the notes were on the keys. Um, but I brought. He heard me play guitar, and then was like, oh, you can actually play. So why don't you just bring your guitar along to the lessons?" And then he taught me loads about kind of music harmony and um, yeah, all of that. Um, and that was yeah, that. He was quite an influential person for me at that at that stage.
0: That's interesting. So was it you found guitar a lot easier to pick up, or did you just? been playing it for longer i
1: mean, i started playing guitar when i was about eight ah, okay. um i started doing like classical guitar um and i just just so much of the music that i was into at the time was so guitar heavy and i just kind of got obsessed and i found it very difficult to play any other instrument and not visualize the guitar um i think i'm quite a visual learner and the guitar you kind of like you see a lot of shapes and stuff and that can be good and bad, um but yeah, it was I don't know, yeah, it just was always guitar for me, mm. yeah, I used to learn saxophone as well, but the same had the same thing, like I'll be thinking about harmony and I'll just see the guitar neck, and it just got super confusing,
0: yeah, yeah, that's interesting, yeah, so at what point was um at what point did you decide to move to London, and was that for music or
1: uh yeah, that was that was for music, so. I um, my I, I went to Trinity College of Music, um, when when I was eighteen. Um, had you or would you were you
0: just like one track mind, um, like music? Like before that decision, was it always music?
1: Yeah, you, I mean,
0: <laughs> did you have any like like a plan B or any other sort of like? Did you harbour <sighs> any other career aspirations other than playing I think,
1: music? Uh. My first kind of career aspiration when I was thinking, when I was like in nursery, I wanted to be a rectangle. (laughs) (laughs) And then I wanted to be a dinosaur. I think I wanted to be a Tyrannosaurus rex. Uh Um, So I always had had realistic goals. (laughs) Um, Then I think at one point I wanted to be a butterfly farmer, which is quite random. I think I went to a butterfly farm as a kid. And was like, wow, this is amazing. I want to do this. I mean, I've since been to one as an adult, and actually, they're horrible. <laughs> like, like I mean, it's amazing to see though that they're just those animals are like they're all just like falling apart. Mm. Their wings like half broken, like trying to fly around. Um, so yeah, that was that was a brief stage, and then. But yeah, really, it's always been music. Like, mm. I've always I've always had that, like. There's been a lot of doubts in my life about whether it's actually going to work. Um, Up until very recently, I suppose, I have to admit. But yeah, it's always, I've always just wanted to play music, write music um, and perform. And yeah, no one could really tell me otherwise, to be honest.
0: Nice. So what did you study at um, Trinity? Was it
1: jazz? Trinity, yeah, I studied, the name of my course was jazz guitar. Which a lot of people find quite hard to believe, I think, that you can go to uni and study such a for three specific years, was it? niche thing. as uh, four years. Four years.
0: Yeah. Wow, yeah. Four years of jazz guitar.
1: Yeah. But the whole jazz education thing in general is quite uh it's quite an odd it's an odd concept, I would say, because for me it was great, like going to that institution, uh Mostly because of the people I met there. Like a lot of the people that I play with now, I met through that. Um, like I was in the same year as Moses Boyd, the drummer, mm. um, Theo, who plays saxophone in my band now, and Jack. I was there with them. Joe Armand Jones. We used to, we had a we had like a hip hop band called Sumo Chief while we were there, which there is still some, some yeah. Stuff I was going to say but, listened, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, And loads of loads of people actually like. Nabaya went there, Femi from Ezra. Um,
0: that is crazy. Yeah, lots of people. All but, in the same,
1: like, year group? No, nah, we were all in, Just, yeah, different different year groups, but kind of spread across. When I first got there, lots of those people, yeah, lots of those people actually came after me. Um, and when I first got there, I was a bit like, oh, man, like, I don't know if this is right for me. There's, everyone felt, like, a little bit square and a little bit like maybe i've always been into playing lots of different types of music although i love jazz and i felt like people were just so on this one track minded thing about mm. jazz um but since then like yeah a lot a lot of great people came um and yeah there's some great teachers there as well there's some some yeah it's a it's a weird one cuz i would say like to go back to what I was saying before about the whole concept of jazz education, like, where the music has come from is, it's like, uh, this has come out of, like, jazz clubs in Harlem or, you know, like, in, you know, like, New Orleans. And mm. and ultimately, also, what we're playing is, is black music. And in a lot of these institutions, it's kind of like, bunch of white kids being taught by a bunch of older white guys mm. and it's it's quite uh, yeah It's I feel like it's not the most um, I can't think of the word but it's just it's complex politically I would say mm. and there's a lot I think when you're in an institution like that also you want to be taught by people that are inspiring and people that are really doing what you want to do and although some of the teachers were there that were great and there were some people that I really really um uh inspired me I think there was a lot of teachers that should have been there that weren't there people that were very um influential in British jazz which didn't get and not really being in employed in the whole jazz education place in like in in in, in, in any of the institutions like royal academy or Guildhall mm. or trinity and i don't know i don't know what whether that what that is i don't know if that's just what they had a kind of clique that was kind of keeping certain people looking after themselves mm. or whether was this something uh, you were
0: super aware of at the time whilst you were there or something you sort of looked uh, back on and reflected on
1: Slightly, like while I was there slightly, but I would say that I've become more politically aware and also become involved and worked with a lot of jazz musicians from an older generation now that I've left. And it's something that I know that people have, have, uh, have said to me. But definitely a lot of the kind of uh, influential, like black jazz musicians didn't have... teaching jobs in a lot of these places and i think that Mm. is something that needs to be rectified for sure
0: yeah and were you learning like is it split into like modules and how progressive are those modules for example if we if we were like a fly on the wall in some of the sort of like studio sessions going on at like trinity would we be hearing sort of fairly classical jazz or uh, in terms of your sound now is so sort of in my opinion, sort of forward thinking and sort of relevant and as you say, like a, a mixture of all different genres. Was that um, reflected in, in Trinity or not
1: so much, but in in one way I would like it's quite good because it was very much like you have to get down your you, like learn your Bebop stuff and then you gotta move on to your modal jazz and then like learning to play on these different chord changes, transcribing uh various like amazing jazz musicians and all that and but I, I, like with my own music and what I'm doing now it was quite um i wouldn't say shunned but it was not encouraged in that institution they i think what i people would have called what i'm doing now is pop there's probably mm-hmm. other people that are really? still there that would they'd say oh you know you got your pop thing you got your pop band on the side um that's not what you want <laughs> and <laughs> And like, at the time, I used to be like, well, you know, this is like, this is just me. Like, what? Yeah. But I mean, looking back, I think probably some of that slightly stems from people's insecurity, maybe. Or I don't know. But
0: Is that what you mean? Like
1: teachers being like, well, this
0: is what I know and this is what I do. So.
1: Uh, I don't know. No, I mean, because there is definitely something to be said for you've got to get down your... You know, you've got you've got to learn the background of what you're doing, and learn. You know, there's a you know, jazz is a complex art form, and I think there are a lot of people that blag it, and but then there's also a lot of people that get so caught up in the complexity that they kind of forget about um, the, the fact that it's also communal music, and it's something that you need to be able to. Kind of communicate with your audience as well, and um, there's a I think there's a fine line between. Like, mm. Yeah, because I heard right.
0: someone I can't remember who it was on a podcast say that, and um, they thought you needed to, you needed to be able to sort of play jazz and have studied jazz and understand jazz, to be able to appreciate it fully when listening to it. I don't know what you what, um, your, what your thoughts on that are. I thought, I thought it was quite an interesting.
1: I mean it de- I suppose it depends how you uh how you measure appreciation really mm-hmm. like I'm sure that when I listen to like some West Montgomery tune I am very m- much more aware of certain things that he is doing and playing um and would recognize certain things a lot more than your average person mm-hmm. Um, but then again...
0: In like a difficulty sense or
1: like yeah, a Yeah, just kind sense. of like a in a technical and harmonical sense. Yeah. Um, but whether that kind of improves or improves the listening experience, I don't know. I mm. think maybe sometimes if you are constantly analyzing what you're listening to, it could somehow, it could, it could maybe make it less nice sometimes. Mm. Get in, the way, of, get in yeah. the way of just purely... Yeah, because I think it's a—it's important to be able to take away the emotional content of what you're listening to, as much as it is the uh, the technical content. Mm. Like as a musician, like yeah, music is a as I was saying, it's a it's a form of communication. So you can't you can't get too caught up in the maths.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're probably you're probably sick of talking about this because I've read and listened to it a few times online, but. Um... You say you like see colours when you're playing guitar? Uh, yeah. You match like colours yeah. to you match colours to chords, is that right?
1: Yeah, I would say I have I think it's something called synesthesia I, think I, have a, I have a I have a I say a mild kind of case of that, is that what you say? Make mm. it sound like I've got an illness. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I when I play certain chords, especially with harmony, I can see certain colours. I don't know if that's a common thing or not, really, but Mm -hmm. it's something that really, um, I would say, kind of helps with my songwriting a bit. Yeah, Uh, I was going to say, does that?
0: Yeah, does that? You use that to your advantage when you're writing?
1: Yeah. But it's also just something that kind of happens naturally. I I I don't think about it. But when if you were to tell me, like, if you no, sorry, if you to ask me, like, what am I visualizing when I'm playing this, I would easily be able to tell you what color it is. So like an A minor chord would be a kind of orangey red. Or like a a D minor would be a kind of purple or a blue. Mm -hmm. But it also depends what other notes are within the chords. Um, It's quite a beautiful thing. Because when
0: I read it, I was just imagining you playing live and all these sort of like colors like streaming out your guitar. And I was like, I wonder, do you ever visualize them when you play? live or is it just more when you uh i would say try. it's
1: there i wouldn't say it's, it's conscious necessarily but it definitely comes out and i think that's probably has fed into maybe a lot of the visuals that i've done mm. so i often quite like to have quite colorful visuals um and quite like flowing colors within things um yeah so i, I would i would say it's it's there when we're playing yeah, yeah.
0: that's quite that's, that's quite cool i was just thinking because often you have like your eyes closed when mm. you're like soloing or whatever and I was like is he just is that the colours going on <laughs> <laughs> or
1: thinking about what I'm gonna have for dinner maybe or I don't know
0: <laughs> yeah so um, you were talking about how sort of aware well how you grew sort of aware of the roots of the music you came from I remember when you played at um, Village Underground you spoke about that between songs saying you just wanted to sort of take a moment and be appreciative of the fact that you're on this stage just because of the sort of hardship that musicians went through, when like with blues music, and like you saying in America, uh,
1: yeah, yeah. So I, I would say um, it slightly ties into what I was saying about music education and stuff. Um, uh, as like a as like a white man playing the music that I'm playing, which is very much kind of uh influenced by yeah black music of america also like west african music and stuff like i would say it's yeah it's quite very important to to be respectful and um uh openly appreciate that where that where that music has come from and also if you and like try to maybe put something back into those communities that you've ultimately uh benefited from a lot Yeah. And yeah I feel I like super refreshing I feel like there's definitely a lot of musicians uh, I'm not saying that I'm doing anything as near as much as I should and it's yeah but I think it's definitely important to always keep that um, conversation open because there's a lot of people even I would say if some of my contemporaries or like yeah people like musicians in London who are they play playing the music and it's great, and they like they're spreading great music. But they're very much kind of like uh, don't don't kind of uh, openly appreciate where where they've kind of what they've benefited from, and what they are ultimately making money out of. Like the concept of kind of cultural appropriation was completely alien to me when I've started uh, studying jazz at trinity and stuff i have i've been lucky enough to be surrounded by also like also i've dated some very political women of color and stuff and made me a lot more aware of that there was a point when i was a bit like, like what am i actually doing playing this music like should i be doing it and i was kind of like what so you sort of it's feel like of people thinking, take it for granted um people take it for granted i don't know if it's yeah i suppose so i don't it's a weird one really but i think it's just important to stay open and talk about these things i think for me i I don't i I don't want to be the kind of the the uh the the person that's saying how things should be done because i don't Mm -hmm. think it's really my place Mm -hmm. to do that um but i just kind of like try to like, be open about where I stand with that and try and, I don't know, make other people be aware of that and just keep the conversation open, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because
0: yeah. people often describe you as like a political, like, songwriter. Would would you, do you uh, see yourself as a political songwriter or?
1: Uh, I think I'd go through waves. I feel like recently, uh, some of the songs have been slightly less, so, but I'd, yeah, no, I would say I, yeah. I mean, there's always there's always political issues involved in the song, in the songwriting, the lyric writing, and the original inspirations for a lot of stuff. Um, but How I does
0: think, that like for me? That sounds very difficult because I think it's hard enough in um, it's hard enough to sort of explore some of these complex political themes. In a conversation, let alone in a in a song. So, how how what's your sort of creative process like when you're trying to sort of put these ideas and themes into your your songwriting? Uh,
1: I mean, I wouldn't say it's like super uh, f- uh, thought about like that. But sorry, could you uh, could you repeat that? I'm a bit just how yeah, how you go about um. <laughs> exploring like political
0: themes in in the songs you write from like a creative process and a songwriting process?
1: Mm. How I go about it? I suppose it might, because it might come from maybe like reading a book or I don't know, a conversation that I've had with someone or something that's in the news or... Uh, my own personal situation that I've been in and maybe commenting on my own personal flaws and stuff that I'm trying to work on in myself. Um, and to be honest, like, it's it's pretty hard to escape like politics is in everything that you do. Mm. And I think if you're like open to thinking about stuff, it's kind of, it's always going to come out in what you do unless you're only going to write love songs. Um, have you written any love songs yeah I've written loads I've written tons of love songs yeah <laughs> yeah loads um, it's a difficult one I, I find actually as I get older I find it a little bit harder to um, write such kind of overtly political songs because I think so many issues are so much more nuanced and also that I'm constantly kind of learning and developing my uh, views and perception on perceptions on things, I'm a lot more wary to be kind of I don't know shouting about things like you know, give back what you stole from me and all of that uh, mm-hmm. uh, so in something so in a song like say Do You Really mm-hmm. that might not overtly seem so political in the first place but it's more talking about um, struggling with one's kind of concept of uh, masculinity or femininity or uh, ideals within uh, of uh, like sexual relationships and um, what one goes to expect of one's partner especially as a man like in a, a heterosexual relationship like uh how you kind of expect certain things of them and not of yourself, which are really things that have just been fed to you through constant uh kind of uh kind of brainwashing, I suppose, throughout your throughout your life. And mm. um that was something that I was really thinking about for myself at that time. Um something that I'm yeah still continuing to work on. And I think it's something that so it's very difficult, it's very difficult to shake that, something something that you've kind of grown up, mm. you know, these unconscious, conscious things. You? So, yeah. Um, more now, yeah, I'm kind of looking into myself and my, I would say myself and my own kind of things that I'm trying to work on in myself and they might come out in the songwriting a bit more now.
0: And um, what about Misty Head,
1: Sunny Street? Uh, such a nice such a nice track, <laughs> thank you. The, that's a that, I, that's not really so political, that's more just a that's quite a lustful song, I would say. Okay, yeah. um, quite uh, a lot of the imagery is kind of influenced by kind of certain poets, like people like Keats and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, quite like a lot of natural uh imagery in there. Um, but yeah, that's more that's quite a sexual song I would say pretty feel
0: good yeah the bass
1: nice.
0: <laughs> did you like lay down the bass line how does it work when you actually produce the track did you um, lay it all down yourself so how, you how that session? track
1: worked um, uh, I kind of I came up with the sort of the original little that little <laughs> with some messing around with some pedals, um, and then kind of put down then put down the bass line, um, kind of recorded a little like a drumby, um, kind of made like a, a demo. I'd been kind of working on different versions of it for a while, wrote all the lyrics and stuff, and then I went into the studio with uh Maxwell Owen, mm. um, who's a great an incredible producer, um, someone that I've worked with for for a long uh throughout the years. Um, and he really helped me to kind of like really produce that into the finished product that it is. Because so I, I I am a, I do produce some of my music, but I wouldn't say that I'm at a level. Well, on some of my new stuff, you it would have been more produced by me, by me. But yeah, I wouldn't be at a level where I can completely create. A finished product that I'm happy with, yeah, yeah. You know, especially something like that because it has a bit more of an influence of kind of some kind of like housey things and stuff. Mm. So um, yeah, Max was very uh, important in kind of getting that from the song into the kind of the finished track. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: I see him every, everywhere, and he just whenever I see him DJing, he just looks like he's having the best time. Yeah, man. Out nice. Of anyone
1: I've ever seen, he's a super talented guy, man. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah he's an amazing amazing asset to the to the london music scene for yeah, sure. yeah for
0: sure and then just on the topic of um songwriting, I just wanted to talk about um subdued and chromatic descendants mm-hmm. Is that right are those two political uh
1: yes, I would say so i would say there were, there are certain themes that are probably running through both of those uh both of those songs actually. Um, with Subdued, it's a bit more like um, kind of concepts of identity, um, of uh, nationalism um, and kind of creating, I don't know, the idea of ownership of uh, of land and stuff like that. And people kind of, how that ultimately, when you look at the grand scheme of things, of the, you know the earth as a tiny speck in the universe that's only existing for a small you know amount of time is, is so insignificant you know how you can be mm. people can get so up in arms about about uh, you know oh these people are emigrating from this place and you know taking our jobs or school places or whatever and it's like You, on on a more local scale, you can't view outside your own situation to see how you've been, you've grown up in such a privileged place, um, and how someone else could deserve that as much, if not more, than you. And uh, but then on a grander, on a more, on a larger scale, like how any of this stuff is so insignificant, and maybe it's kind of like. There's some, I don't know if I should say that, but it's maybe there's some kind of peace in that, in this, the fact that it is all such a, you know, these all, all these things are so uh, tiny, tiny hmm. things. You know? Yeah, I, and, uh, I watched
0: a talk that ended with the guy being like, it was to do with, um,
1: oh, what was it to do with?
0: Something to do with biology, and anyway, and he ended it by being like, "We're all so insignificant," which sounds kind of depressing. But it, like you say, it made me feel like, oh, it was I've, it was quite like a beautiful way to finish yeah. like a, mm. a talk. It gives you perspective on
1: yeah on things for sure, man. and how
0: what a short time we are here for. Mm. And where where did that come to you yeah.
1: from? The idea that, for that song? Uh, I can't remember. When, uh, a long time ago, I was thinking about writing that song. I think I was reading a book about Australian aboriginals, I think. Mm-hmm. And like the history of those people, how they've been dated back in that, uh, in on the uh, in Australia, of like to possibly 60,000 years ago. Um, and obviously when you think about the history of that country and what it is now, like it's a very, the society of like white Australians that live there now, is very, um, it's an incredibly young uh, civilization, but those people are, I would say a lot of them are quite, um, like the Aboriginals, they're quite, quite shunned within that society and stuff. And, uh, I think I was just, I uh, was thinking about that quite a lot and then just kind of thinking about, um, that on a, on a broader scale. Um, yeah. And then to move on to that, uh the uh chromatic descendants, uh that the concept of that kind of came from um a book by this famous uh drummer called Art Taylor, who's um a, a really influential jazz drummer, and he inf- he interviewed a lot of uh jazz musicians and his his uh, this book called Notes and Tones uh all the greats like you know Sonny Rollins John Coltrane uh uh Miles Davis um you know everyone, Dexter Gordon like um and in the book he asks a lot of the people like is there music I think this is might have been what I mentioned at that gig actually maybe um So ask if their music is political and Mm. if it comes from, or if it is, uh, yeah. So a lot of them answer saying that their music exists as something that is above any human politics is something that's a lot more spiritual and that in some ways they don't want to tarnish the beauty and kind of, Uh, the beauty of their music with these ugly human issues and that, uh, maybe not exactly in those words, but kind of what I took from it. And um, But then other people say, like, you know, this music has obviously come out of a political situation in the way that anything does, but obviously the history of jazz music uh, clearly does, like for blues, slavery and all that. It's it's clearly a very political... um, Uh, yeah, root from it. Um, And in that song, I suppose I'm just kind of like weighing up the two, those two kind of ideas. Um, And so talking about how music is existing as something that is always existent uh, in nature uh, or so I say like... um, Uh, colors and sound transcend the treetops celestial harmony that makes the clock stop existing outside this perceived time. Uh, I can't remember the rest, something like that. (laughs) And then there's another bit that's like, uh, homesick blues won't be reported on the news, but you hear it on the radio with every sound. So this stuff is always... It's in it's in everything. It pop music now. It's also it's so influenced by by blues music, like all those pentatonic lines, mm. like it's in everything. Like it's all it's, and it's there and it's people uh, maybe don't always think about it, but yeah, it's it's always it's always there. Mm. It's awful shit that people have gone through. It's, it's you hear it all the time. Yeah. So it's it's um. Yeah. It's always
0: a good measure of someone's songwriting if you can speak the lyrics like you just did, and it sounds really poetic. Yeah, wow. Uh, yeah. yeah, I suppose <laughs> so. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> if you can take out a song and just read it and enjoy it for like the words alone. Yeah, without even the music. I think that's that's yeah, it's, I think it's quite impressive. So
1: that's that's often the way that I write is like I it'll be kind of like a something like an idea like that would be I'll be thinking about something like that and I'll write loads of. Loads of poetry, and then kind of like cut it up and mm. put it together. And as I developed the the idea and stuff, so maybe that's why it kind of sounds a bit more like poetry. So lyrics first or music first? Uh, it never really happens in any particular way. Oh, interesting. It might be like I'll carry a book around with me, or and just kind of write stuff when I'm when I'm thinking about it, and then, um, But then like. I might be, I don't know, might be just practicing guitar and then I kind of get an idea of a little chord sequence or like a little riff or something and then that kind of takes me on a tangent. And then, so yeah, it's 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 never really any particular way, to be honest. That's interesting. Because, you
0: yeah, know, I speak to some people and they've got really sort of, they have a structure and it's, oh, I lay down, keys come first. So yeah. So you are just...
1: Nah, mine's, yeah, it doesn't really work like that. It might, like, the idea might come from a drum beat. Mm-hmm. Um or yeah it might come from a bass line it might come from a little vocal melody it might come from a lyric uh i mean sometimes i feel like maybe it would be good to have a structure it might make me create music a bit faster but (laughs) i guess it's nice to be sort of like
0: like flexible and yeah i suppose you just never just open to you never know
1: sorry you know you never know when uh where where an idea is going to come from and where something might take you so Mm. i think it's I think in some ways it can be kind of stifling to kind of be like, this is the way I've got to do it. You Mm. just got to,
0: yeah, be open. Yeah, so true. And how often are you creating? Do you have like a... I know you don't have a structure Uh, to your writing, but do you have... Do you try and structure your like days and weeks as an uh, artist?
1: I do, yes. Uh, Like, especially now, I have a lot less time creating than I would like to. Like, when I was younger, you know, I was just writing music every day. Like, just just working on, always working on music and practicing for ridiculous amounts of time every day. And now that as the the whole career grows, there's so many other things when you're trying to make money out of something, you've got to, uh, you've got to uh, um, obviously do many other things and it's a lot of admin stuff, a lot yeah. of traveling, a lot of gigging. Yeah. Um. So yeah, you have to really organize your time. Like now, I kind of will block out like periods of like a few days or like a week or whatever, and be like, "Hey, okay, I'm going to write." And then I just have to try and encourage my uh, I don't know people around me to stop asking me to do things. <laughs> <laughs> and are you a night owl? Do you like? Um, I would say I'm more of a day time person. Yeah, I like to. If I practice, I like to get up in the morning and and practice. I know a lot of people like a more a lot of a lot of musicians who so say they write at night time. Yeah, uh, I hear that a
0: lot.
1: I don't know. I think my 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 brain is clearer in the daytime, so I prefer. Mm-hmm. But it depends. Sometimes I might stay up all night working on an idea just because it's like the creative juices are flowing, and when mm-hmm. they're flowing, you can't. It can be difficult to to get that back again. So yeah, yeah. you've just got to go with it.
0: Yeah. So it's like a Friday. A Friday to you? Like I know, like the whole Friday <laughs> feeling
1: is sort of more for
0: people who I don't know work office jobs and hate yeah. them. But
1: sometimes, do you but, feel like it's Friday today? <laughs> um, do I feel like it's Friday? I mean, yeah, I feel like it's Friday. But what is Friday? <laughs> <laughs> do you have like? I guess I mean, um, do you have that like? Yeah, no, I know weather, what you mean. Like, like the, the structure, stuff, the, yeah. like the like general life structure. Yeah. Um. No, my life is completely. All over the place. Like, yeah, like a day is that? Is it's quite hard to have, work out when you're gonna have your have a day off or whatever. Mm. Um, and I know that so many people do that, and lots of people end up completely overworking themselves and then collapsing. Or yeah, uh, so I I try and take stock and be like, okay, I'm gonna spend time like you know with my girlfriend at this time, or like family, or you know. But yeah, it's never you can't really. Yeah, like you can't really tell when that's going to be. Yeah. This weekend is going to be a abnormally weekendy weekend for me. But oh, nice. in general, like, I might be travelling and then I'll get back and then I'll be have a Monday off or whatever. Like, yeah.
0: yeah. I guess in a way, you've you've put the like you've worked so hard and played so much to be busy.
1: Um. Yeah. Yeah. But I have. Like you
0: said earlier you want to you want to be gigging like a lot. That's. Yeah, what it's about, I guess, for
1: you. I would say it's um, it's definitely, like, I don't know. It's uh, like where I'm at now. It's it's yeah, it's great. Like, finally, I'm actually kind of making a career out of what I'm doing, and it's just taken a really really long time to get to this point. I'm 27 now, and I've been working at this thing for ages. Like yeah, so much money I've invested back into this, and so much time and that's always a thing I really try to um, uh, kind of make clear to other people is that like you know there isn't you you kind of get this idea you see people that are like I don't know blown up when they're like 19 Mm. and they're touring the world and like making money or whatever but there's no particular time when this stuff will happen and sometimes I think it's better to take your time with these things and really work out what you want and kind of getting yourself get yourself in a position where you're stable both mentally and financially and because I think when this stuff happens when you're super young like it can, it can mm. mess you up yeah for sure. i'm I'm grateful for what for for the way it's happened there's been a lot of times being super insecure being like oh you know why am I not getting the credit that I deserve why am I not kind of why am I not traveling like around America doing headline tours or whatever and it's like the uh, I don't know the what's the romance that you put around these things it's always actually mm. different than it actually is and I think
0: Did you have a yeah. conversation with yourself ever which was like if I'm not doing X by this point I need to do something else or
1: um No, I would say no, actually. I I I've I've said like because it, it kind of has happened naturally. Like I came out of uni, I was already playing loads of gigs. I was playing loads of jazz gigs. Uh at first. It was just kind of like, I was just gonna I was guitarist for loads of people. And then I kind of um changed it and ended up being yeah, I kinda of switched things up and ended up doing my own thing a lot more. Um but I think I think it's important I used to be very skeptical about this, but I do think it's important to envisage places that you want to be in life, for sure. I know that's something that lots of people say. Uh and to not give up on that. Um mm-hmm. but I also think there's a it's a it's a it's a very important skill to be realistic about what you're trying to do. And also just be grateful for the situations that you're in as well. Mm. Because like, as I know I'm still very young, but I'm 27. But as I've got older, I've realized that the things that make me happy are very different to what I thought they would have been when I was, say, 20 Mm. or something.
0: Yeah, I had that even with interests. I was just like, all the stuff I'm interested in now, I hated at school and I was like, made me just think like oh just school either like doesn't work or it's just i don't know I was just, i was just sort of confused about it, thinking like why am i suddenly interested in all these things that i hated yeah. at school like things like science and stuff i literally hated yeah
1: but so much of it's the way that it's taught and it's also just at that age you don't like you don't want to do stuff like that yeah. you want to like i don't just know play football <laughs> smoke weed or like yeah. i don't know like it's you're not often if you're not really fully mentally ready to kind of take in those kind of things. So,
0: mm. and did you said you talked about it's important to have like these sort of um ideas of where you want to be? Did you have like sort of mini milestones or was it always sort of on a grander
1: setting? um mini milestones? Um, I wish that that is something that I did more to be honest because I feel like I've always been in this position where i've been like uh kind of always trying to strive for the next thing but i've never really been completely clear about what that next thing is mm-hmm. um like uh i suppose like first time one of my songs reached a million plays like that was like okay wow that's that's actually that's pretty cool like, mm-hmm. but then even then it's so easy to to be able to kind of Like after, like straight after, just kind of like, oh shit! But then I know this Instagram post I did only got like I don't know. (laughs) It's like it's such some bullshit like that. But really, yeah, I've never. Now I I would say that I've reached a milestone um, for me. Like, um, I'm of like kind of like I'm about to start working with like a label and stuff, and like that's something that's been really. Going for a long time, like or like, it's, like I haven't got to that point yet, and I feel like I don't know. I think I think actually, I, I I feel a lot more content with where I'm at now, but that's because for the first time in years and years, I actually like. like able to pay my rent (laughs) Mm. and like just feeling that feeling of stability and stuff is like giving me actually so much less anxiety and i never really realized i always thought this feeling of anxiety was coming from the fact that i you know i wasn't getting i don't know enough people like coming to my gig or whatever but really it was actually just like a feeling of contentment and stability in myself and where i'm at in life
0: Mm. well kamazi Um, washington's got to be a pretty good uh milestone as well that's crazy yeah for sure yeah when was that when was that like announced when did you find out about that Uh what was that like that
1: was all super last minute actually i it it was i was told about that Um, you're supporting him on a a yeah i'm supporting him on his on his uk tour this month um that was something i was it was mentioned to me like a few months back and i kind of i was like i don't know if he'd actually want me to do that that's I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much does how much choice he makes with these things, anyway. Sure. But um, I just thought, yeah, I don't know. Like, like, yeah, it's a nice thing, it's a nice. But I was like saying to my manager, yeah, it's cool. Like, I mean, if it happens, but I'm not. I don't know. Not really gonna. Don't think it's necessarily going to. And then, like the day before they wanted to announce it, I had it confirmed. They were like, oh yeah, you're actually doing it. <laughs> You've got these dates in May. I was like, oh, I've got to, got to like rearrange a load of stuff wow. now, <laughs> but. Yeah, it was amazing. Like, it was was so... I didn't really have a lot of time to think about it, but... Would they be um, your, like,
0: biggest crowds? um, Yeah, or... What what venues are they?
1: They're all kind of, like, O2 Academy kind of places around, like... But they're all in... It's, like, Glasgow, uh, Manchester, Bristol, Gateshead, um, and... What's the other one? I don't remember, but... Yeah, it's… I don't know. They're going to be pretty big. I don't know if they'll be the biggest I've ever played. We've played some pretty big ones of Kokoroko recently as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, as myself, potentially.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's right. I'm conscious of time. So we did have some questions coming on… Um, okay, cool. …social media. Um, let me just get them up. So… If you could move to one other city… Where do you move? I
1: can move to one other city. Um, right now, probably New York. Mm-hmm. New York is my favorite kind of place. Well, not uh, the place that I could I could see myself existing, doing what I'm doing right now. Although it's a real, it's a quite stressful there as I've well. Heard it's, so, yeah, really, I've heard it. Yeah, I've heard it. i not been, so, but I've heard it. I, I, I love it, mm-hmm. but it's it's a grind. And it's, it's, it's way more expensive than here as well. Mm. I just like living. Do you like
0: busy places? Um, is that sort of the bustle
1: appeals to you? Uh, I'm, I'm a bit of both. Really, like obviously, cause I was I was born in Norwich, so that's quite it's a, it's a small city. It's like it's easy to get out into the countryside and stuff like that. So I, I really appreciate being able that kind of side of things, being able to be in natural environments and stuff, and being away from people, being alone in big like open spaces is really something that I crave quite a lot, but. In terms of what I'm doing, the kind of music that I'm playing, and the fact that I'm I collaborate a lot, I need to collaborate with different musicians. So, in that sense, for me to do what I'm doing and be happiest, I do need. Yeah, I like to be in more busy places. I yeah. Suppose. Had
0: you been there um, before um, you were playing shows there? Had you visited New York before you? Were- uh, I know
1: the first time I went was to play I, when I when I went there with. Uh, uh prs foundation for the winter jazz festival and i played a few shows there yeah that was that was the first time i'd ever wow. kind of visited and i've been there but i've been back once i i was back i was there in december as well kind of on and off for a couple of weeks nice right
0: um mm. We've sort of touched on this and the answer's sort of nothing, but if, if you weren't doing music, what would you be doing?
1: <laughs> I'll be a rectangle. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um who are your main inspirations? Uh my main inspirations I would say are George Benson. He's really big for me mm, on guitar. Nice uh, especially on the guitar side of things. Um Jimi Hendrix. Um Gil Scott Heron's very big for me. Uh, I don't know if you know John Martin. He's a more John, kind of folky so. kind of guitarist and singer, songwriter. He's been massively influential for me in my songwriting. Bob Dylan. Um, Who I did listen
0: to since your so Jazz Court show was mm-hmm. John
1: Mayle. John Mayle. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Who, I don't know if you, I think that's the only time I've seen you do that
1: cover. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah, I don't really amazing. Yeah, I forgot about that. Actually. Yeah, it was so nice. Maybe I'll do that again. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, but loads of people in all, all the jazz all the jazz greats, like Wes Montgomery, uh Charlie Parker, Miles Davis, Coltrane, Cannibal Adley, no, all of them. And then obviously I'm I've also recently a lot more been a lot more influenced by some like West African people like um Ali Fakatori uh pat thomas ibo taylor felakuti and various other people
0: yeah nice is that through sort of um kokoroko has that sort of bled into your inspiration at all or uh
1: yeah kokoroko has been a, a very kokoroko yeah uh-huh. i've been saying it wrong yeah sorry, everyone does <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, it's been yeah it's been great for me in that sense i i, w- I was quite interested in music from like west africa and stuff before but i uh i've learned a lot from playing that band and really been able to, and I had to kind of study that music a lot more to make sure that i can play the guitar like in a in the right way and stuff mm. and i don't know yeah that's that's and that's probably bled into what i'm doing a, a bit as well for sure yeah
0: yeah nice and then Who are some of your favorite artists that you're listening to at the moment? Is it just uh, the same as a past question?
1: Or? No, I would say um, it's different. Um, who am I listening to at the moment? Um, uh, my brain has gone blank. There's a guy, there's a rapper from, I'm not sure where he's from in the US, but a guy called Pink Sifu. Okay. Who's, uh, he's he's a rapper and a producer as well, and he's yeah he's really really sick. He's actually playing in London tomorrow. No, is it
0: tomorrow? Yeah. Pink seafood or seafood. S i i f u. Okay. Uh,
1: there's another American rapper uh called Naji Person as well um who I really like um and who else um. This band called Bassa Basa, I've been listening to quite a lot. It's like a Nigerian band. Um they're they're kind of older. Uh who else? Amber Simone, she's a singer that's mm. coming out of Yeah, oh, she
0: did she did a podcast, didn't she? No, she's got we're going trying to do one with her soon. Oh right. Um, yeah yeah. We are caught
1: her supporting Rosie Lowe. Yeah, she's great. She's, yeah, she's she's sick. really cool. She supported me actually one of my at my uh last headline. So cool to be
0: Doing lead vocals on the bass as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Like She's funky. great.
1: Like I, I love her music even more live. Actually, I, like, I think it really translates best in that in that sense. Like I, I love it. Yeah. Mm. Um. Uh, and Ego as well. She's been on this as well. Yeah, Ego yeah. LMA. I love her music. She's I listen, great, to, I listen yeah. to her a lot. Wulu. Mm. Don't know if you know Wulu. They
0: did they support you? At uh,
1: Village Underground. Wulu was yes, he did. Yeah, I
0: think but I saw was, them at Peckham Festival as well, Peckham High
1: yeah. Festival actually. Wooly was, yeah, yes. he was, that was kind of a, that was the thing with him and Quake Bass. Uh, they did a kind of, a bit of like a craftwork, electronic kind of thing for that. But but his own music, uh, Wooly's own music is like really, it's kind of different. It's like for, kind of a bit more rocky and like mm. he's, a, he's an amazing beat maker. He's helped me make some of my music. Like He helped me to produce um, Subdued and, oh, and so. Do You Really as well but he really recently released an album and that's been i've been yeah I'd had that on repeat yeah. nice
0: and then last question is if you could who do you think would be a good um guest on this podcast
1: who do i think would be a good guest on this yeah. podcast um i think that Wooloo would be a good good yeah. good guest he's a very interesting guy so yeah, yeah. and he's a, an amazing musician so okay wicked
0: well thanks again it's been a pleasure really really interesting and um yeah All the best.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me. Cheers.